We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for Series 7, Episode 5, Blue. It is the last of our Series 7 commentaries and indeed the penultimate commentary of any episode in the BBC era. Uh, So, good. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking finally. There's no need to add anything onto that sentence. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me on this momentous occasion are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. So, if you would like to watch the episode along with us, you can do so by pressing play on your DVD or Blu-ray or Netflix, etc. after these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Blue is actually Factoid, the first episode in Series 7 to play out with a normal title sequence at the start of the episode. It took five episodes to get there. Fifth episode? Yes. Tika and Stoke have cold openings. Uh, Ouroboros has no title sequence at all. And Duck Soup, as we saw a few weeks ago, uh, just starts with a caption. Mm. That's it. Isn't that fascinating? That's it the fascinating. kind of has, yeah. insight you could only get on GNZ. It's interesting because it must have been like, because a lot of people kind of would have, uh, when they get to episode five, it's like, oh God, there's a, like, this is unusual. We, we've not had this yet. Yeah, the, f- the first four all broke the format before they'd established the format. It's an interesting episode, this, because like with, with Cassandra last week, we'd um, that that was kind of like, Left to last, just be just out of apathy, really. But this mm. is this is probably one of like to the top three episodes this season. Like this is series, sorry, this is good. Well, it according to the bad. Pearl Poll, it is the third best episode of series seven. Oh, uh, quite su- quite some distance ahead of the fourth, which is a robberous. Yes, um, and behind uh, uh, Stoke, and the other ones, Stoke and Ticker, yeah, in that order. Uh, it's number it's number fifty four overall, um, which is uh, actually Aurobras is one behind it, but there's a huge points difference, and Cassandra is one higher than it. So, right, okay, interesting. So we've we've seen the fifty third and fifty fourth best episode in the last two weeks, but I think I I'm not sure. I'll I'll reassess by the end of this half hour, but I think I prefer Blue to Cassandra. Yeah, I I certainly do. It has it has a couple of very big set pieces. <laughs> it also has a washing machine called Frank, uh, which is what like the fifth or sixth different Frank. thing in Red Dwarf to be called Frank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's something about the name Frank that we need to get to the bottom of. It's good. It's funny. Hollister is Frank. Todd Hunter is Frank. Uh, Rimmer's uncle. Rimmer's brother. And now a washing machine. Right, yeah. Frank and Stein, the cat. It might be that just it's just one of those names that Doug finds f- like inherently funny. Like, there's yeah. a whole, the whole section on the commentary for Alan Partridge series yeah. one, I think, where it's like the, the, Al, um, Amanda Nucci talking at length about why fifty is funny. <laughs> yeah, like, Lynn fifty, 
Um, <laughs> is for, yeah, and that yeah. and why that's funnier than a more specific number Th- than an odd number, which are meant to be yeah. funny. Yeah, and that is why Douglas, a- Douglas Adams chose forty-two because it was the funniest sounding um, two-digit number. Yeah, it's also very funny when. Um, a Scottish person says a number forty-two in uh, an advert from the nineties as well. <laughs> That's quite obscure. No <laughs> I don't think it is. I think with our listenership, they probably remember that advert. It was. Um... I just I find uh, going back to going going back to the episode that we. Oh what? <laughs> oh Danny. Crichton <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, mentioned like discarding the cash files. It seems like as if Doug's decided to use that as a plot point for why he doesn't know things. Um, mm. Like, like it sort of seems like Tika to ride. Obviously, seem to like just have it as a a, a way for Lister to get his head. But obviously, it seems to be a, a part of a bigger thing. So I wonder whether Crichton's behaviour in Series Seven is probably something to do with the fact he removed cash files. Yeah, you like he, only... dele- he deleted something that fucked up the install. Possibly, basically. yeah. Cash cash files are just copies of long term storage versions of the files that are quicker to access. So discarding your cash will at worst make you a tiny bit slower in the com- in the next few minutes. Yeah, I was gonna would Doug have known that in nineteen ninety six. No, no, well there's uh, in ticker as well there's um, some dodgy use of um RAM. Um Yeah. Conflating, conflating uh, RAM, RAM with like memory yeah. in hard drive space yeah, yeah. absolutely terrible <laughs> this is oh this is the comic I get, I, there's a lot of these cockpit scenes in series 7 that almost always happen right towards the start of an episode and they're kind of getting the plot started scenes which is absolutely fine because series 6 does that as well yeah it's just that there's such a huge difference in quality between series six cockpit scenes and series seven cockpit scenes that I completely get them mixed up. I like I couldn't tell you, I couldn't have told you that the comet was this episode's thing that got them to the plot, rather than to be on the joke thing that gets them to the plot or the robberous thing that gets yeah. them to the plot. Yeah, it's, it's Series Seven's a, such a weird mix of of striking out and trying to do something new, but also leaning back on uh, some tried and true things, and obviously the, the, the cockpit dynamic. Mm. They're re- really trying to kind of um, replicate Series Six here. And it but the the very obvious point to make as to why that doesn't work is that you've replaced Rimmer with Kachansky. Yeah. And as much as Doug protested at the time that Kachansky was not a direct replacement for Rimmer in any sense, she's like sat. she's she's sat in his seat, man. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's doing the kind of lines, uh, you know. She's not the, not the type of lines as in the things that Rimmer would say, but she's butting in at the points that Rimmer would butt in well, and taking command in a way that Rimmer would. It's interesting. I mean, she sat in the same seat as him because that's the navigation seat. <clears throat> And Rimmer mm. was going for a navigation officer, wasn't he? In, uh, like historically, and she is a navigation officer, so I guess that 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 checks out. Oh God, state of that. Yeah, that might be <laughs> that might um, digital um, bitrate compression, etc. Might not have been very kind <laughs> to that effect. I think. <laughs> um, I think that might have been better on broadcast. Yeah, it's a funny old. It's like the HBO intro. 
<laughs> streaming services, it's a complete mess. That's yeah. a good shot. Whereas, that's a little bit of model shot. Tiny little model shot there. Yeah, I love it. So this bit of plot obviously didn't get rewritten too much. Because <laughs> famously, all of the model shots were done far too early in the process and Doug researched yeah. a lot of the episodes. Yeah. Well, they were they were based on um, draft early drafts of scripts, uh, right. the precise drafts of which the exact ones that the um, that the model unit used are the ones that I used to do that article a couple of years ago about the series seven early drafts. Nice. So you can see precisely if you look back at that article how how things changed between that stage and what ended up on screen. Tell you what, and I. I know that they're the the same versions. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) That's the kind of thing that podcasters do. Yeah, we're getting there, lads. We know that it's the same copies that the model unit used because I got them off the model unit. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think if I remember rightly, um, that draft was just by Kim Fuller. It didn't have Doug's name on it. So it's obviously... That seemed to be the the general pattern for the series is that uh, the guest writers, if you will, had a first pass and then handed it over to Doug and he took the bits that he liked and restructured mm-hmm. a, an episode around it, like whether that had any re- uh, relation to the original is another matter. Yeah, it's not a terrible way of working. I think Aaron Sorkin did that a lot. Mm. The West Wing. Like, um, he I think to any extent, final structural pass, but to some extent, that is kind of the job of the the showrunner in the American yeah. sense of it, because Doctor Who, I know, works or did pre Chibnall, because Chibnall's introduced more of a writing room thing. Uh, but for for the good series of Doctor Who, that was very much how it worked with uh, Russell and Moffat. This uh, sewing machine, <laughs> never referenced in dialogue, but if you look very closely, it's called the Torquay So and So. I've literally <laughs> just seen that. I am today years old, having seen that. <laughs> wow! Uh, that keeps on giving. So that washing machine is presumably uh, sewing machine is presumably uh, AI from the same family as Torquay Toaster. I wonder if there was a vague idea in someone's head, probably Kim Fuller's head, that that would be talking at some point. Yeah. Or uh, art department just did it as a background gag. Yeah. 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 Actually, if you look very closely on the serial number, it actually says um, its real name, which is Frank. (laughs) (laughs) I quite like the joke about Pat's rule. Yeah, you mean I'm not alone. alone. (laughs) This is the episode, so the the reason why this kind of stands above the others, even though it's doing very similar things, very similar types of jokes of crying and Lister and Kachansky and everything, but it just seems to it just seems to hit a, a kind of a character uh, character level that the others don't. Probably mm. because Rimmer's involved, and as soon as you involve Rimmer and Lister dynamics, then you're onto a, a winner because um, that's Doug's bread and butter. That's what you know. That's Doug knows how to write that relationship so as soon as you introduce him it's good um, and it almost it almost makes the 
uh, irritating Crichton stuff, uh, less less ab abrasive, I guess, because it's not the only thing. Hmm. Yeah, there's more going on. There's a lot more going on. As a an idea to do a Red Dwarf episode that has a lot more introspection and is actually about Lister's emotions and his mental well-being. I'm well on board with that. Mm. And it's the kind of thing that perhaps was done slightly better, but in smaller doses in the Dave era. It's, it's definitely become more of a theme of yeah. making sure Lister's all right. Mm. This is a bit of a prequel to Promised Land, really, when it comes to their relationship. Also... Yeah. Watching the Blu-ray version, that map painting in the background did not survive the process at all. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching a rip of the DVD, and it looks all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Good joke. Yeah. It is a good joke, and it's a good. It's a good way of kind of. Expanding out the scope of it, I like episodes that that use the space quite well. And like you know, I'll just have a quick gag on a moon, and it's actually quite a nice effect, you know. Yeah. Before you start mm. upscaling it, you know, and it <laughs> just just gives the episode a really a kind of a bit, bit more of an you know an interesting feeling. Because uh, linearly, in you know, they don't, they never leave the ship. Nothing happens in this episode, yeah. plot-wise. There's no external forces other than they go through a comet and realise that they have to jettison some stuff. But that that is the plot. <laughs> like in the strict in the strictest sense, the plot is um, Starbuck is too heavy and Lister needs to jettison some cargo. That's all that happens. Yeah. But it's about the characters, obviously. And so yeah, these this locker room scene and uh, and the moon scene just adds that extra depth. Yeah. This is oh, I have serious, serious issues with this uh, <laughs> this locker room scene in that Rimmer is wearing his hard light uniform. This is clearly meant to be... Well, it's on Red Dwarf, and Rimmer was never hard light on Red Dwarf at this point. He's only got hard light uh, in Legion. Interesting. Uh, he's wearing his hard light uniform, but it's implied that he's soft light. And it's just... It's just wrong. Especially if they had the a robberous flashback to life on board pre-accident Red Dwarf and they did something different with Rimmer's uniform there. They gave him a uniform that's never been seen before or since. Uh, I'd almost rather that than an that, inaccurate that use like of this uniform. That universe's version of the grey uniform, wasn't it? Yeah. I think there was other others in there. This is such a good practical effect as well. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I remember as a kid just thinking, how the hell did you do that? that? <laughs> Imagine if they hadn't swapped over the uh, the lockers, and that would have been Lister's face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just wouldn't have picked that one. <laughs> it's um, it's more of a bottle episode than the bottle episode, isn't it? Really, Un unless really there was two bottle episodes of this series, which it's an interesting use of Chris Berry. Because they had him for four episodes contractually, yeah. Uh, but they chose to still write him out after two. Yeah. I, if I, I this might not be a hundred percent accurate, but this is what I remember from reading old interviews that originally he was only going to do two, and so that's why they wrote him out after episode two. But then during the process, he agreed to do a little bit more. Right. And so rather days. than 
hastily cobbling together a normal episode with Rimmer in. They dug, used him in a perhaps more interesting way, really. Yeah. Like the echo of Rimmer still exists for two more episodes. Yeah. And especially with this one, because it deals with... A, it deals with the emotional impact of him leaving, which is, I think, a good thing, because if he'd have just been packed off and then they never talked about him again, that would have been an injustice. Yeah. Um, I had a second point, but I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just more interesting, isn't it? It's just it's, it's doing something different with Rimmer, and um, yeah. so you, you're going to get more good stuff out of that, and it turns him leaving... <clears throat> It, it extracts a certain unique positive out of the fact that he left that wouldn't yes. have existed if he stayed. Um, and also, I just remember what the other one was. Uh, him leaving after two episodes still leaves six full episodes for them to establish the new dynamic. Yeah, until he comes back. Whereas if it had been half a series with him there full-time and then half a series without, yeah. it would have been rushed. Disjointed. And like, the fact that they didn't do it well is neither here nor there <laughs> they had the, they had the space and the time to establish the new regime uh, yeah this series is, is packed full of good ideas like while series eight i would i would question the the entire premise of the series um yeah. seven is um is working towards some noble goals i think um yeah what is it that um oh is it like sets Seven, seven was shooting for good, good stuff that he didn't reach it, and eight was shooting for. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember what he used to say. But I think I used to... seven was probably more successful than eight than what it was. It was for. It was yeah. Yeah. It was trying to do a comedy drama, and it was more successful at doing yes. that than eight was at doing an out and out sitcom. An out and out sitcom. Whereas the comedy We've just completely was... ignored. <laughs> yeah. Something. The most infamous <laughs> moment in. Maybe Red Dwarf the, history. The shot that launched a thousand gifts. <laughs> it's a little bit. I don't know. It's not my place to say. Really, it's a. It's a little bit gay panic as a joke. Um, I. I don't. I, I. don't see it that way. To be fair, I see it as Lister freaking out that he had such an intense dream about Rimmer. Not nothing about specifically Rimmer. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't the think it's it anything. Rimmer, I honestly don't think it's anything to do with with Lister freaking out that he's like. like I wouldn't have a dream. Like, here we go. Here we go. So I must be losing it, or I would never dream stuff like that. That's the Lister has definitely, definitely snogged Peterson. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. At some point, uh, he is an enlightened twenty third century guy. Yeah, you would hope. It's just that in the previous episode, he's awkward around the concept of an alternate version of himself being gay. Yeah, and Ben Bob, maybe <laughs> Crichton doing that is good. Speech is superb. <laughs> That's the joke that woke me up at five o'clock. <laughs> Danny, Danny, this joke has haunted Danny. In the lead up to this commentary, <laughs> it was—it's just the—it's the speed of it, and I think the editing is like everything about that joke just sits so fucking well for me. Just, just De- relax, and then definitely, just... <laughs> definitely hypnotic, but not in the right way. Is superb. Unfortunately, now um, that has to be taken down from UK TV Play and uh, <laughs> context added in, in the form of a caption. Has outdated language in it. <laughs> Do you remember um, off the top of your head um, whether that was a Kim Fuller gag or a Doug Nail gag? 
no. But I do have the article up. <laughs> um, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I, w- I just briefly skimmed through it just now, and like largely in this episode, the structure is the same as the first draft. It's like it d- the plot doesn't change massively. Yeah. The order of the scenes changes a little bit, but not hugely. It's the dialogue that Doug did most of the changes from compared compared oh, to yeah. different versions of the draft. It's mm. like everything happened in roughly the same order. Plot wise, it's just that the dialogue was not as good <laughs> before uh, before, Doug. before Doug did his bit. Okay. Um, yeah, it says here, according to past me, the subsequent scene in the Medibase shares the same structure as the finished episode, but with a few extra bits of dialogue. Uh, so there's more dialogue in the original, but n- nothing that's not there. Okay, so ki- that, that that was a Kim Fuller gag then. Conclude. I think so. <laughs> it certainly doesn't contradict that in the article yeah. that I wrote two years ago. <laughs> and uh, at the start of this conversation, Kachansky just like just picked up like a random kind of tube of something, or like, and, and sniffed at it as if she was about to drink it. Is she just like she got a medicinal alcohol like addiction. Or something? <laughs> she, that is that is the gag. <laughs> Then she comes in and says, I'm just looking for something to erase the memory oh, of right, I've see, ever lived yeah. through. <laughs> but the fact that she sniffed it suggest- that, that elevates it <laughs> to the point where, are you actually joking? Or <laughs> <laughs> In uh, Last Human, uh, alternate Lister uh, has a medicinal alcohol problem. So maybe there is something there in Doug's head. Yeah. In, um... Maybe Doug has a medicinal alcohol problem. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just heard a cat. Yeah. I assume that was on Donny's. You uh, heard muffin. <laughs> too, uh, too loud for Donna. <laughs> you heard muffin, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope that picks up on the mic because otherwise, wing caps are just going to sound really odd. <laughs> I'll, I'll cut. I'll cut to the goatee uh, elephant. Go. No, never, <laughs> never, ever, ever cut cats out of podcast. It's bad luck to cut cats out. Yeah, of oh yes. Uh, you listen very carefully to last week's or the week before. You might hear Donna incredibly, incredibly quietly going meh at a couple of moments. <laughs> yeah, it's my favourite bits of those commentaries. This is, I quite enjoy everyone's reactions to Kachansky and uh, just her unadulterated enthusiasm for something that's clearly shit. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it, it's odd. It like it, it perhaps is not consistent with her character the rest of the time, such as it is. But it's yeah. de- a decent way to go. I mean, it's it's not a bad structure for for a game. It's just it's not the cat and Lister's area of expertise. That's all. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a game. Like, what would what would be a good version of this? Like. You hum the intro to a song or something, and you go. Yeah, it's the intros round. Yeah, it's the intros round. It's a perfectly standard quiz night. (laughs) It's perfectly good standard. But but the sort of the difference between sort of uh, what everyone else would consider to be normal, which is doing like eighties tunes, would be like us doing obscure game show theme tunes from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's given me a cracking idea for a new podcast. (laughs) (laughs) When when the Rona's over, it is on. We're back together. Time is right. It's time for you. 
for you to make your way. Back into the AR machine. Yeah, they, they get some good mileage out of this AR machine in this series. None so good as this scene. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Which is hands down the funniest thing in this series. And I can't think of any thing to counter that. No. I mean, and it's, it's one of the funniest things the show did. Like, one of the funniest bits. Which is, is it's odd, as you know. There's <laughs> a little standalone. Yeah, there's a little standalone thing. As sort of strangely self referential. Yes. Yeah. Is it worth not having Rimmer for a few episodes, bearing in mind that he came back and everything's fine now? If, if, if Rimmer had gone permanently and Series 8 and the Dave era happened without him, which. Like wouldn't have happened anyway, but <laughs> it's hypothetically, uh-huh. it wouldn't be worth. No, uh, have, like I'd sacrifice the Rimmer experience to have Rimmer back, but given that he did come back and was only missing for essentially four episodes, yeah, it's worth it. I think. Yeah, because having I wouldn't, having I wouldn't want Rimmer, to not have this scene. Having Rimmer in full episodes at the start of the series wasn't good. <laughs> it still wasn't good Rimmer really. I mean, it was decent mm. Rimmer, but you know what? I mean? It was still series seven, so. Almost, almost like, almost mothballed the the character until you know things were a bit better. Well, it mothballed the the good version of the character yeah. until at least back to earth at the yeah, very earliest. Very true. <laughs> but yeah, it's Lister and Cat in particular in these recreations are <laughs> just the best. I like how the ride just. He's just getting more erratic, and <laughs> and that's just Crichton being shit at programming. <laughs> that's nothing to do. With, that's nothing to do with like Rimmer's personality or anything. It's just him not being very good at code. Which, to be fair, to, he's done all this in like the space of an evening. It's not bad. Like I don't know what um you know what operating system or whatever this version of AR is using. <laughs> like what language they're coding in, but he's done a pretty good job. The bad. backgrounds could do with a bit more detail. Not bad for a game jam. <laughs> and this is Howard Good. All that is yes. Best <laughs> voice as well with Chris lip syncing. I remember when I first saw this, I lost my shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Look, it's like it's one of those M- things Captain like Tongue Tied. The so more you see it, then obviously, like, obviously you get used to it, but. The, the impact when this first came on screen is just like, where did this come from? You didn't see it coming what the fuck at all. Is there? And it, yeah, it's the 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 song lyrics are all right. The the tune and the implementation of the lyrics is good, but it's the puppetry that really makes it. <laughs> I just I love the little tiny costumes. And the little it's just yeah. the little miniaturization episode... of every every era of Rimmer. <laughs> In an episode that's had a costume faux pas, it, it makes up for yeah. it. <laughs> that's where it all went. <laughs> they yeah. spunked it all on making miniature versions. <laughs> I mean, they made like, what, 20 of those little red ones? <laughs> <laughs> and then they cloned Chris Barry's head. <laughs> it went to that much effort. They, did, <laughs> they oh made loads of clones of Chris Barry <laughs> and decapitated them and attached them to cloth. <laughs> Why has no one tried to make this the Rimmer experience actually in VR yet? 
Oh, oh. fucking hell. Don't say that because then Danny's going to try and do it for the next five years. See, that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Dreams is now a thing, and they're going to implement VR very soon. So, uh... so you'd need you'd need clean like to do it really easily. You just need clean shots of all the all the different elements, which I think might exist on the DVDs. Very possibly. And then you just you just you have your your space, and then you just project. You're basically projecting it onto black. <laughs> to your right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what Crichton did. Which is what Crichton <laughs> in the did. The fiction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> huh. I mean, the first thing you do in VR is always a roller coaster. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Bye series seven. seven. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think that is. It's. I enjoyed. I, that. I enjoy. I enjoy that episode in particular a lot more than I thought I did. When I yeah, you know, if you like, because you always kind of have a distance thing where you go, oh, I don't know yeah. if I'm like, or I'm gonna, I'm not going to enjoy this. And actually, do you know what? It's fine. <laughs> I think for, I was just pondering whether it's my favourite episode of series. 7. I think it might well be. I think it might well be because the well only, be. the only competitors are the first two. Yeah, and they both have big clangers in in my eyes. Um, uh, if they did, that would be brilliant. Suit <laughs> dragon. <laughs> <you know. laughs> Oh mate, you're gonna love the new clangers when you get to that age. Um, the yeah, like Stoker's got the 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 incredibly bad way that they that they kind of toss off Rimmer's death or the explanation to the crew. And mm. Ticker, I don't know, Ticker's just weird. Ticker just really feel like Ticker weird. Ticker starts and ends appallingly. Yeah, uh, like just really, really, really insultingly badly. Yeah. <laughs> and the book ends of shite, but the middle is good. <laughs> the book ends of shite. Yeah, and blue blue is just a nice. It's just a. It's a tight, well well written, well put together. Not necessarily hilarious, apart from the obvious exceptions. But just yeah. just good character work, really. Yeah, it's kind of gentle. Yeah. And it's like that thing of like, like we were saying, it doesn't really have a a traditional red dwarf plot, which kind of puts it more in a series one type vibe, yeah. where there's no isn't there's nothing external, that's that's making the characters do things. It's just it's a slice of life on board ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To have um, that confidence to let your characters carry the entire episode without any sort of external kind of. Well, apart from very mild peril <laughs> and threat, yeah. um, that's the sort of confidence that you know the, the show had in the or it had to have in the early days because it couldn't really do big situations. It had to be you know character driven. Yeah. Um, then when you when you've got eight episodes in a series and having that bit of extra space, you can get away. With it. It's perhaps a bit of a shame that there's two episodes in a row that are just set on board Starbug. Mm-hmm. And is this the sort of thing we're going to lose it in a in a hypothetical future um, where Red Dwarf hasn't already finished, <laughs> as we suspect <laughs> it might have done? And um, I think it's all, it's agreed pretty much that if it carries on, it's going to be with a special model. Um, where mm. where do where do episodes like this come from anymore? Like we had um, we had a moment of it in. The Promised Land, which was good, but like whole whole character stories um, like this, yeah. really don't exist anymore in that model. Actually, to be more precise, sir. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's well having a feature length episode, as The Promised Land demonstrated, allows you to do lots of different types of red dwarf in one 
story because they've got a bit that is essentially a marooned duck soup. Uh, yeah. What's, the, what's the shit yeah. one? Uh, samsara type thing where they're <laughs> confined in a space and can't move and they have conversations. And in the Promised Land, they have brilliant conversations about <laughs> Rimmer's existential crisis and yeah. Lister and Moonlight and everything. Um, but at the same time, you've got big action sequences, you've got guest characters, you've got um, f- like quirky sci-fi type things happening. Uh, I so guess there's room yeah. for sections. Of, like, you've got series compressed down, basically. Yeah. yeah. Blue could have been a clip show. It has that kind of stru- that bit where they're sitting around in the cargo bay and they do flashbacks. That could easily have been clips. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Oh, do you remember the time when uh, me and Rimmer did? You know, we, had to... we got stuck on a moon and had to and had to eat dog food. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, and do you know? Do you know what? Yeah, like I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's easy to fit a clip show into an American twenty-two episode season. Um, yeah. You can't really get away with it in an oh. eight episode, scene, but it's still. It would know, have been terrible. Yeah, yeah, it would have been terrible. <laughs> but um, you could have done it. <laughs> I, I, I'm second guessing myself because I was just about to praise Doug for not resorting to that for what must have been a big struggle to fill the eight episode uh, mm. quota, which we see with this series and eight. Um, but it's um, yeah, it's um, it's nice giving us a clip show of clips we've never seen before. Is always yeah. like they are my favourite sort of episodes. I, I feel like this is like the millionth time I've mentioned the West Wing, but the, my favourite episodes of the West Wing is when they flash back to like the the campaign or something like you know yeah. before the election stuff like that. And you fill in bits of this backstory that you just never really saw before. Yeah, it's good structure. We'll do more of that in the next special in twenty twenty six. If we're lucky. Mm. So yeah. Uh, if we're thinking about uh, Series 7 as a whole, I think it's uh, a lot of it is going to echo what we said last week uh, with Series 8, is that, yeah, it's not very good mm. <laughs> in places, but I don't mind anymore. The thing is, it, it's position in history is a weird one, because the the received wisdom, I guess, is that 7 did a lot of damage to the show, and 8 did a lot of repairing in audiences' eyes. Mm. And, and 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 that's always at the heart of the the arg- like. There's a sub argument of are seven and eight any good, and um, which is which one is better, seven or eight? Yeah. And we're I don't know if we're split down the middle on this site anymore, but um, we, <laughs> we have used been. To be. <laughs> we used to be. Um, well, I always prefer seven purely because of you know it, it kind of been a bit more confident. But it does like seven is quite destructive when it comes to what the show used to be and trying to like rebuild things. Mm. Um, which presumably is why a lot of people get angry with it, and I was angry with it at the time. But um, in I think hindsight, it's, um, it's, just a, it's a wrinkle, isn't it? It's an interesting yeah. moment. And the difference between the two is like the changes to series seven are kind of superficial. Is like it, obviously it looks different. It's shot in a different style and has the film effect applied to it. Um, it it does try and tell different stories and different types of story kind of because it has to yeah. because the dynamic has to change because you've just lost the best character like <laughs> you've just lost one of the best characters in sitcom history <laughs> obviously things are going to change Yeah. Um, whereas series 8 looks from the outside like 
classic Red Dwarf in that it's it's you know it's yeah. brightly lit studio sets and multi cameras, but what it's trying to do is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> so like I think at first glance you'd be forgiven for saying oh yeah series seven is where it all went wrong. And I'm not even remotely saying that it didn't go wrong. <laughs> I no, think it yeah. did go wrong. But I think Series 8 was wronger. Well, there's two things it, to consider. It's it's fan perception and it's public perception. The public perception mm. is the one that controls the wider success. And I yeah. think on the public perception side of things, 7 bad, 8 good. <laughs> and on the fan perception, it's, it's, it's much more complicated because you get into kind of the nitty-gritty a bit more. Yeah. Eight bad, seven slightly less bad. Yeah, well, the, um, eight good from the public point of view because it was very successful, is what I'm. Yeah. Is what I mean. And well, and, they you both know, were. You, you talk to casual fans or people that just know the show from a from a distance. And I worked with, like, you know, like early two thousands. I worked with someone who taught, who was like, oh, you're a Red Dwarf fan, and and they were just going on and on and on about how much they love Series A, and they were just pass it a passing Red Dwarf. Like you know, they mm. they'd watch it when it was on, but they weren't that bothered. And eight to them was like. Yeah, the show's back, and I imagine there was many millions of people that felt that way, but they wouldn't have felt that way about seven. I think it also depends on. We come to Red Dwarf from obviously from a very specific point of view of being you know, quite knowledgeable and quite emotionally involved in it, but also from the time that we all got into it was between. Um, we we experienced that gap between series six and seven like massively like wait, waiting for a long time for series seven to come along and so series seven and eight will always feel different to us because they were they were a chunk of new red dwarf uh, that we had to wait for if you came to red dwarf at any point after 1999 then the first eight series are all one thing yeah if you come to red dwarf now the entire 32 years are all one thing yeah it's only you only think about you know the the bubble the BBC era, the Dave era, if you experience those things firsthand. Yeah. If you find Red Dwarf now on a on a uh, streaming service, uh, a Brit box or a Netflix or whatever, and it, you've just got the whole thing there yeah. as a big box set, and of course, you, you will treat it as such. The, what 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 really is happening here is that when when you experience the show as they come out, it, you start so- associating certain eras of the show with certain eras of your own life as well, and how yeah. you feel about it kind of is, t- is inextricably tied to what you were doing in your life at the time which is you know obviously much much different to you know what you were saying about people just discovering it now um imagine like finding red dwarf for the first time and then burning through it all in a week <laughs> a yeah, week or two what, just like a lot of people will be setting. doing that yeah. yeah yeah i can't I, like i've spent so much time watching each individual episode of red dwarf especially from the first eight series yeah that, uh, i can't imagine just like tossing them off like that and just burning through them it, it's weird because i can remember when i when i attended my first dimension jump is like series eight was very much in the like in the top of the sort of everyone like it was kind of part of everyone's kind of main thought processes because obviously it was the most recent red dwarf at that time but it was just mm. it, it was still maybe two or three years old by the time that um i got to a dj so it was just like but series eight was always kind of like the thing in, in you know that was always the the, the 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 newest thing so yeah it's 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 interesting when you like as a as a fan it's like i can remember that like dj was kind of a time when series eight was much more series seven and eight in particular were kind of much more present um yeah a part of your kind fresh. of yeah because they were newer and fresher and more different and 
sparked a lot of conversation. So that you know, usually a lot of a lot of starting conversations at dimension jumps were usually like, "Do you like seven or eight? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whereas weirdly, what we discovered when we were uh, doing stuff for DJ for that big long period of several DJs. Um, during which uh, 10, 11 and 12 came out while we were on the fan club team or on the DJ team, uh, we discovered that like half the people that attended weren't familiar with the latest episodes at all or like had a passing acquaintance with them at best. So we like obviously with each with each DJ is usually the most recent series that forms the kind of theme for the opening ceremony and potentially like the logo and yeah. the and the design and everything certainly with the quiz uh we'd always incorporate a good chunk of most recent stuff mm-hmm. and we found we'd just get greeted with blank faces from a good chunk of the attendees of just like they may have watched it once but they don't they, they didn't like they didn't want to know it as intimately as they know the series the series one to eight era yeah it's it's very interesting <clears throat> and yet obviously we had guest stars from those episodes as guests and they were popular and and much loved and uh, you know uh as you know as well received as any other type of guest despite the fact that half the people <laughs> like didn't give a shit about the episode <laughs> that they were in. again though is that just the fam- familiarity thing over time is that just like like it's just going to take a while for that kind of stuff to sink in for well it's certainly yeah it's easier to answer like quiz questions you know intermediate to hard quiz questions about something that you've watched hundreds of times over 20 30 odd years yeah but people were people were blank faced at like the most basic things like you know who is butler that type of thing yeah, yeah. well there's there's um, red dwarf conventions are slightly slightly different but there the, there is kind of roughly two types of person that are at any convention. It's someone who's there for like a, a, a very specific kind of deep love of a particular area of the show and the sort of person that, that goes to loads of conventions, loads of different shows is a generally a sci-fi fan, a fantasy fan, a convention mm. fan. And those people will not necessarily know the ins and outs of the show to which the convention that they're currently at, you know, is 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 dedicated yeah. to. Now maybe maybe uh, that's getting into more of those those types of attendees. Yeah, you, know? you would assume that they at least like the show. Yeah, they like the show. They <laughs> want to see and the have, main cast and have and seen it. the show. Yeah, yeah. no, obviously, know who Craig and Chris and Danny and Robert are and Doug and you know some of the bigger guest stars. Yeah, but as a, necessarily as a pop culture familiarity rather than a regular yeah. familiarity, yeah. rather than. Us lot in the corner with a fucking <laughs> yeah, no, and I think entirely seriously, <laughs> and I think that's DJ. I mean, you know, this isn't a, a DJ podcast, but um, um, I think that's that's DJ being a DJ is a really old school type of convention. It's 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 essentially it's so much better than it was, um, you know, in the early days. But it's essentially you know it's it's old school to have a convention about one particular show in that sort of focus. And the, new, yeah. the newer style is the bigger kind of, you know, I hate this term, but you know, genre conventions. Yeah. And Red Dwarf and the Red and Damage and Jump is really straddling the line between those two things, and and its its attendees are straddling that line as well. So, 
Yeah, you do get some weird bits of, you know, you know, mix there. There's someone who could quote you every episode, even the newest one, and then we would have had a DJ podcast by now if uh, yeah. it wasn't for COVID. It was end end of May, wasn't it? Yeah, it was supposed to be. Yeah, it was. Yeah, not the, that I'd have actually been able to attend. <laughs> <laughs> the um, yeah. fan club did a really good job of um, having a, a tweet along. Tweet oh along yeah, DJ. Um, sharing DJ memories. Yeah. Uh, believe that we can we can Pedro. discuss the fan club critically now. We've all fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> well, let me tell you who's a cunt on the fan club team. Right, settle down, everyone. No. And now I move on to liars. <laughs> yeah, I got roundly bollocked about the quiz, about the quiz for DJ as well. Being too hard. Yeah, just like the, the we, I think it was the polymorph question. We we I think one of the one of the questions of polymorph is <laughs> how many times does the polymorph change. And then we had like a little counter <laughs> showing every time it changed into something else. Do you know what? Like, if you've seen that scene enough, you, I, I could have a good go at visualising the the rhythm of that because you can hear yeah, it, yeah. can't you? I can hear it. Counting the counting the flash the counting those. Yeah. Anyway, as we've already stopped talking about anything specific. We seem to be waffling. Yeah, there should be some sort of interstitial here. I think let's officially uh, codify our officially call that a day on Series Seven discussion because Jesus Christ, we've discussed Series Seven enough over the years, and let's officially move on to ah, so you're a waffleman, waffleman, (laughs) Waffleman. John Waffleman. Right, so on this edition of uh, Waffleman, we're not <laughs> intending to spend uh, 45 minutes just answering one question this time. We'll try, no. we'll try and mix it up a bit. No existential uh, crisis here. <laughs> no, well, we'll see. Uh, but the first question that came in, which actually came in on like the first week of uh, of us doing this, but it's, it's just been on the list ever since. Uh, Milo Scat asks us for a review of the Mobisodes. <laughs> well, I can do one quite quickly. They're shit, mate. <laughs> They're um, it, fascinatingly shite. <laughs> yes. It is fascinating in that they came about at precisely the wrong time. <laughs> like to like to the very to the day to the day <laughs> they were wrong. Because I I looked up to rejog my memory. It was two thousand and seven when it launched. It was Red Dwarf on your mobile was the name of the service. Um, it launched in 2007, and so, so it was clearly at the time there was an appetite there for there being, you know, content for mobile, video content specifically, uh, but not quite the technology to do good video content on mobile, or at least like lengthy or you know worthwhile video content. But it was only a year or so later that smartphones were a thing. I got my first smartphone. I got an Android phone in 2009, which was the first Android phone. Uh, and I think the first iPhone was 2007. I think it was literally really? months after this. Um, it, I'm, it might have been 2008, but the the iPhone basically was the 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 the, the paradigm shift. Like that was when yeah. that was when phones was playing video, and this is exactly the same video that you're playing on your desktop. It's exactly yeah. the same video. You know, it's not. I was going to say that my, that very first smartphone that I got had a YouTube app, yeah. and you could just watch YouTube. You could stream anything you wanted. Exactly. Whereas this was downloads, 
uh, rather than streaming, it was WAP. WAP, <laughs> fucking WAP. Jesus Christ, WAP. So it wasn't like proper speedy mobile internet. And I've just looked up as well, yeah, the very first iPhone was actually released in June 2007. So yeah. it it was already out, <laughs> like round about the time that this launched. Yeah, we're not lying when we said it was to the day. The Yeah, exactly it was the wrong <laughs> pretty much exactly wrong. Uh, but you could get mobisodes, you could also get voice tones. Uh, so there was new, um, it was um, Robert and Chris, uh, they basically had a voice session from those two. Uh, so that there was there was like ringtones and message alerts, and also according to this, because I looked up uh, the Red Dwarf on your mobile launch article on Toss, there's also apparently there was a social network, which is quite you know for 2007 it was early days of social networking. You had MySpace, yeah. you had Bebo, uh, Facebook had just launched, Twitter hadn't launched yet, but the Red Dwarf social network was there, and uh, we all remember that, don't we? <laughs> I think you did a web series for it, didn't you? <laughs> Uh, but the most startling thing about the service that I discovered, uh, bearing in mind that all that you got on it was like an animated version of a Red Dwarf scene, the service costs only £3 per week. <laughs> <laughs> so that is over £300 a year <laughs> that, you're, that you're having oh. to spend. Uh, and... Oh no, it's, it's around £150 a year. Uh, and each individual item, if you don't want to subscribe, you can purchase each individual item for £2.50. So each of those mobisodes, those little 40 to 60 second flash animations, cost £2.50 a piece. But you, but you would pay a subscription to just watch them, to, to, to have everything? £3 a week. Or two pound fifty per per mobisode. But the the amount of content is finite. So do you then do you buy a subscription, download it all, and then cancel your subscription? Uh, oh, good point. Maybe well, that's probably tied, why it failed. Maybe it was tied to because I I I'm struggling to remember. I had a bit of a technology jump. I I was on really kind of early two thousands phones, right up until the yeah. point I got my first um, smartphone, like second gen HTC type mm. thing and um, so I can't quite remember what these weird WAP services were yeah. like because I never really used them I seem to remember that I didn't have a phone that was good enough for it well, yeah. yeah I assume there was some sort of DRM that you had to yeah. subscribe in order to view or at least have you know unlocked that particular we- weirdly ahead of its time in some ways but on the other hand it was definitely piratable because yeah. I watched the like someone, I think <laughs> I'm going to dob him in. John Hoare downloaded the uh, <laughs> the Red Christmas ones <laughs> and then sent them round on email to us. <laughs> Sue him. <laughs> well, uh, he reviewed. He did review those ones, but we never reviewed the um, the clip. The ones. general, yeah, yeah. because they were just they were just clips were with just clips. not very good animation. And it's like it's kind of like no one's fault. It was like the animation was adequate for what was achievable on mobile at the time it was just the question of what was the point of it it was like at that even at the time i was just like i i don't want to watch you know 40 second versions of scenes where you can't see the actors and you just get not very good animation maybe you you could just watch the episodes (laughs) so i don't need there's never a desire for me to be sat on the bus or whatever and go oh yeah i'm I'm just going to quickly watch a 40 second clip of the light bulb scene, but without Chris Barry's face. 
And yet, like, GMP and merchandise, right? Like, this is a long-standing gripe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is quite a lot of effort that's, that, that was put into this. And, like, obviously driven by, you know, someone at the company who's very bottom-line focused, let's say. Um, but, like, but then things like, oh, what, why, don't you, why don't you get all these scripts that you own the copyright for and put them into a book <laughs> and yeah. sell that? Like, none of that. No, no, that's too fucking easy, mate. <laughs> let's, let's... There was also, like, I'm just thinking of other short-lived, like, technology-based formats. There was the Diblifier app. Yeah, that only existed for a very short amount. I don't think I ever saw it or used it, but basically you could turn like augmented reality, turn yourself into Dwayne Dibley. <laughs> when was, was that? What 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 era is that? Was that fairly recently? No, it was uh, early. I mean, it's chat. It's, it's it's Snapchat filter levels of stuff. So it's maybe it's it's before Snapchat, obviously. But Red Dwarf the Diblifier, um, two thousand and ten. 2010. So it wouldn't have done like the face tracking or anything. It literally would have been a frame that you put your your face in or something. Basically, an app so. version of the things you get in uh, seaside towns. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but there was al- there was also there was the um, rock player. Remember that, which was a thing that was specific for Nokia phones. I think. Yeah. Or R O C. Yeah. R O K. R O K. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Red I'm Dwarf. All right, thanks, mate. <laughs> Are okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was some uh, Red Dwarf releases on that, and that was something that you like. Is a little sort of flashcards type thing that you put into your phone. Yeah. There was UMD, and the Smegups came. Just the oh, Smegs yeah. came out on UMD, which was the uh, PlayStation PSP. portable format. I think Odd. that is in this house somewhere. My partner had. <laughs> really? Um, she she was an early adopter of the PSP and. Um, yeah, there's like there's a big bag full of fucking those stupid little UMD things. That's <laughs> Format wars, like th- that was probably like <laughs> that was probably the last new uh, physical media format to launch. Like, I'm not sure of the timelines with Blu-ray and that, but it was around the same time. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Um, it has its. Um, it has its fans as well because it's a Sony mm. format. Of course, it's got its fans. <clears throat> Um, Mick probably has a broadcast quality camera that that writes to UMD. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, but yeah, very, very strange forays into into merchandising. I wonder if that's just put them off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's going to be some reason. But yeah, going back to the Movisodes themselves, that like I have seen. The um the little animated versions of existing scenes. There's not that much to say. It's like we know, we know that the the scene, we know what the scenes are, and we know that it's not as good as watching the actors. Yeah. But what was very interesting was Red Christmas, because, like at the time, we thought that Red Dwarf was just dead in the water in terms of new stuff. Yeah. Like even to the extent that the DVDs had finished, Body Snatcher. Look, Body Snatcher came out. There was, I remember, there was an advert for the Mobisodes on the Body Snatcher collection, so it was around about the same time. But the Body Snatcher collection was supposed to be it, done and dusted, line drawn. There's no new Red Dwarf stuff ever. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden they announced we're doing this animated Christmas special. It's like, oh my god, there's so much you can do there. Like, there's so much potential. Like, this might not be brilliant in and of itself, but if this works, 
maybe Red Dwarf could exist as an animated thing now. Yeah. Uh, and then they they did that. Fifteen they, fifteen months before Back to Earth actually, yeah, actually broadcast that that's uh, you know the John's review on the thirtieth of December two thousand seven. So it wasn't quite two thousand eight. Yeah. Bizarre. But there, there was real optimism about it. <laughs> there right. was like we thought that this could be a thing, and then when we when we got it, the two part Christmas special, which amounted to what about three minutes, three or four minutes yeah. in total. Which canonised um, Santa Claus and the Red Dwarf universe. Yeah, that was the issue, really. That they'd chosen to do a cartoon version, like a Saturday morning cartoon version of Red Dwarf, where Santa Claus and, and talking reindeer are real. Yeah. And they interact with the crew and it's perfectly normal and no one bats an eyelid that Father Christmas <laughs> exists and is landed on the roof of Red Dwarf. This is back at a time when we were giving star ratings to things, by the way. Uh, anyone want to guess? <laughs> Minus four. <laughs> From five, yes. Um, one thing I'll say for it is that this is the first time, maybe the first time, that um, there was a regression from the pencil red dwarf back to the classic red dwarf. Got well, there you go. Shots. It was uh, worthwhile then. And then, you know, a year and a half later, um, it's properly it's it's properly canonised in in Back to Earth, and Red Dwarf is now shorter again. So, Red yeah. Christmas is a trailblazer. Yeah, it's not the first time Santa's been in Red Dwarf. I mean, he has been in it carrying a machine gun <laughs> in Waxworld. So. Yeah, he's, he's chilled out though, a bit since then. Specifically. <laughs> Crichton says he's been posted from the fictional department. Um, yeah, that's true. So in Meltdown, he's a representation of a fictional character. That's true. And now he's real. Like Hitler. Well, I, I, you know, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think Red Christmas is canon. I wouldn't have thought. But apart from that, it's just not very good. It's not very funny. There's jokes that don't make sense. I've that... never seen it. I oh, need to well, reacquaint myself. I, I feel like I, I feel like I need to needed to have seen it before I can because I, I, I can't pass comment because I've never seen it's it. It's very hard. I know it's very about hard it. To find. And I've heard it was like an apocryphal, like lost gem, shall we say? That's Shit yeah. Gem. It's it's Red Dwarf Apocrypha is what it is. It's yeah. one of those rare things because there's as we've we've touched on quite a lot in Waffle Men. There's not there's not really such thing as a red dwarf expanded universe, but you do get these little things that pop up every now and then, and I guess like Prelude to Nanaki would be one of those things. Does that mean that Ainsley uh, Harriet you... is canon? <laughs> That's another example. <laughs> uh, like you you potentially classify the likes of Identity Within and Body Snatcher in this of like they're red dwarf stories that exist um, that aren't proper red dwarf stories. And I'm sorry to spoil it for you, Danny, but I just wanted to point out that the entire conclusion to um, this Red Dwarf Christmas special is them having a game of charades with Rudolph, and the punchline is that they get the charade slightly wrong. Well, what fucking bother then? <laughs> um, I've just found a YouTube link for you, so uh, I'm afraid. Oh, oh yeah, it's out there. It's all out there. <laughs> it's all so out look there. out for that commentary. <laughs> oh, yeah, shit. once we, we've only got one more BBC episode left, it will come a time. Welcome to this special four-minute dwarfcast. Yeah. I mean, we're burning through things every once a week now, like yeah. scraping the barrel. <laughs> uh, moving on moving uh, from one mess to another, Philly Mess asks, 
Yeah, that was smooth. <laughs> Philly Masks asks, just the trailers, what are your fave and worsty trailers from all eras? And I'm going to hand this over to a man that I know has actually done some research. Yes, uh, that research consists of watching a supercut of uh, all the trailers from the DVDs on YouTube <laughs> five minutes before this call started. Oh, I didn't know such a supercut existed. Um, well, it's it's kind of it's. Um, well, I haven't got it open anymore, but it was like series one to ten trailers, and there's there's a, some bits from the DVDs mixed in there as well. So I think right. it's all the trailers that ended up on the DVDs. There are you can have deeper dives when it comes to. Like the little BBC trailers and stuff. Um, uh, what's his face's channel? Video archive. Is it called video archive? Oh, um, uh, VH history. VH history. Yeah, there's yeah. there's whole videos of Red Dwarf trailers um, on there. And but continuity. Continuity. Yeah. Um, obviously, the obvious answer for this is the series eight one, and I rewatched the series eight one, thinking, is it as good as I remember it? And yes, it is really as good. As I mean, that is an excellent, excellent trailer. The fact that it made Series Eight look worth watching looked dramatic. <laughs> makes it an yeah. extraordinary trailer. In the same the... way that Star Wars Episode One had an amazing trailer, and yet, yeah, and <laughs> exactly, it... exactly the same, way. exactly the same way. Yeah, <laughs> if you like this trailer, why not watch the Phantom Menace trailer, which is the same, um, but you know, it's flipped. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm pretty sure the mu- the music, the you know, the dun 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 dun. dun Mm. music which is used in like the first episode that's library stuff isn't it that's not even specially written i think it is i think um, so yeah like there was much original stuff in series eight i don't think oh, does series eight have any original incidental music uh no because they use the only music they've got for well on the dvd the only one they've got is the the blue midget dance which is not how good or so Right, mm. yeah. So Howard Goodall did some bits for seven, nothing for eight. So basically, eight is library music all the way. Pretty so it's much. very well, very well chosen music. It's very mm. well put together, um, very cinematic, and it just it kind of. Um, I was when I was watching it, I was thinking this is the perfect way to consume series eight. If they had, <laughs> um, if they had just you know the ending of it, you know, there's a little bit more spoilers about what happens at the end of the series, that is your Series 8 experience. <laughs> Over in two and a half minutes. Over in two and a half minutes. But, um, like, going much further back to, like, the first, I mean, I guess this must have been the first ever trailer, and it's not a great trailer because it's just an 80s, it's kind of a, a BBC Two style 80s of, you know, here's here's the new episode of this new show coming. And it's slightly, kind of slightly light-hearted commentary mm. of uh, Meet Lister. He's, you know, he's drifting yeah. in outer space. Um, <laughs> he's a guy. <laughs> and it's interesting, is it is normally with trailers these days for a new series, you would get a trailer that would cut, would get all the best bits throughout from throughout the series and make it look as funny and as, as good as possible. But this is a series of quite lengthy clips only from the end because it all, that's all it's trailing it's trailing the end it's not trailing the whole series uh, and i found that really interesting as well correct me the, other than perhaps the odd shot it's all pre-accident in the end uh, they were trying was. they were trying to preserve the accident as a spoiler yeah they were, they were supposed to be a surprise the first time you watched it because you know they didn't give it away in the radio times and stuff that makes a lot of sense i guess that's why that's why yeah obviously you get nothing from later on in the series but I, I just find it interesting like putting a trailer together from what is 
I mean, a lot of people think is one of the weaker episodes of the series. I don't necessarily <laughs> agree with that, but um, um, it's, it's it's just an interesting thing, and they they put together you know some of the. the, the it's interesting because yeah, you have to. Is the first is a the trailer for the first series of something. You have to establish what the show is and what yeah. the format is. Except in this case, they're establishing the fake version of what the format is. Yeah. They're establishing the status quo that's about to be ripped apart and not giving away that it's about to be ripped apart. Yeah. It's very interesting from that perspective. I would have, I would have loved to have experienced that um, properly, but I was a bit on the young side. Well, in going back to Series 8, I distinctly remember that trailer, because obviously there was the 30-odd second version, which was used the majority of the time, obviously. But I distinctly remember seeing that two and a half minute version for the set for the first time, because uh, just before series eight started, they were showing series two remastered on BBC Two on Monday nights. Yeah. Um, like from from the beginning of January, I would assume, because six weeks roughly, um, and it was after Parallel Universe, so the last of those of that little mini run. It had the full two and a half minute version of the trailer. In the ad break, in the break after oh, Parallel Universe, and it blew my mind. Yeah, that's crazy. You could also, speaking of early internet video stuff, you could download it from the Red Dwarf website, like the nascent Red Dwarf website before it was LRD-fied and relaunched into, into that's the That's fascinating. That we I have no idea. My word. I didn't have the internet at the time, but I had a friend who was a Red Dwarf fan who lived like two streets away. And so I remember going around to his house one Saturday morning and sat, and sitting there, because it had to be evening and weekend internet at that time because yeah, it was yeah, too expensive during the yep. day. Yep. Uh, and so going there first thing on a Saturday morning and it downloaded by like 8pm. Yeah. <laughs> so I go off, to, go off to Villa Park, come back. And then yeah. So the, I mean, there was what there's one more trailer. Actually, there's two more that I wanted to mention. So I, I like I've never really seen a trailer that I didn't particularly like. Like some of the Dave ones have been a bit underwhelming, but they're all relatively good. So I'm really yeah. just highlighting ones that I like here. There's the the classic one that I the first time I saw it was on the DVD, but it's the Hitchhiker's Red Dwarf Masher. Oh yeah, which is just beautifully put together. It's the TV. St- TV style, Hitchhiker's TV style book animations. Mm. Uh, Peter Jones doing the voices. Yeah. And it's it's just, from what I can gather though, it's not actually advertising Red Dwarf, it's advertising Hitchhikers and using Red Dwarf. It's, it's uh, Hitchhiker's it was, um It was BBC Video 1 for think, yeah. Hitchhikers and Red Dwarf videos. Is yeah. it because it, it ends there, with just the one, Hitchhikers uh, videos? I think you might be conflating with there's the Doctor Who one. There's a there's an advert for Doctor Who BBC videos that uses the um the polymorph escape pod. Uh it uses the voiceover and the do not attempt to open this pod. Oh yeah. And the model shot and yet oh. it's for Doctor Who. <laughs> Interesting. Unless it's me that's conflating those, but yeah, there's th- those two um BBC video adverts stick in my mind. One that's a Doctor Who crossover and one that's a Hitchhiker's crossover. 
very yeah. relevant to my interest. Very, I mean, I mean, you know, early, uh, late eighties, early nineties, the BBC had three sci-fi going concerns. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, Doctor Who wasn't even a going concern. Um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, an archive way, I guess. Fiscally, it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the so the the uh, honourable mention that I saw was a trailer that was put together as an Easter egg for must have been the Series 7 DVDs because it involves yeah. um, Gary Martin doing a kind of a Red Pepper, but like, you know, I, hmm. I don't know what the other guy... Who's the original trailer guy uh, called? Don Lafontaine. Yeah, yeah, that sort of, you know, deep-voiced uh, trailer. And it's, it's it's cut together with... It's, it seems to be a trailer that is just... Right, I'll annoy everyone because it's only got Series 7 and 8 clips in it. Even though it's on the Series 7 DVD, it's got Series 7 and 8 clips. But it's... Um, it's really well put together. Like it's really punchy. It's really well put together. Really nice. Which I, I imagine that would have been an Elard slash it, it Nathan Cubit. Definitely feels slash, like an Elard idea. Yeah, Elard idea. Nathan Cubit execution. Maybe um, the other editor. I, I Matt, Matt, Matt Wyburn. Matt Wyburn. Matt Wyburn. Yeah. Um, very nicely done, anyway. And it's a shame, actually, that it was kind of hit, hit, tucked away as an Easter egg. I guess that's where it belongs because it wasn't of the time; it was a newly created thing. But um, Red Dwarf, Red Dwarf does actually. When it comes to trailers, if you're paying attention, it, Red Dwarf does clip well. If you, mm. you know, if you, if, yeah, you, yeah. For, if you go for the drama, well, not the yeah. If you, if yeah. you go for the drama, then Red Dwarf clips yeah. well. Yeah. Because you always get around the time of uh, a new series, especially in the Dave era, because Dave's Dave aggressively markets its original programming and yeah. full power to them. They do a brilliant, brilliant job at marketing. Uh, so you have all these different variations of trailers where it's like a short 20-second or 30-second scene, and they get played to death, and we always sort of overanalyze those jokes. Yeah. And like, for any joke in Red Dwarf, <laughs> like ever if you see it out of context over and over again you start to go well you start to really worry about the series and it's like yeah. oh is this the type of joke is this is it just gonna be this over and over again which is completely <laughs> unfair but if like if there is a worst trailer then it's those types of ones where it's just 20 second clip followed by the tx information and that's simply because for us we see them so often and analyze them to death for for the your casual person who's you know watching a Top Gear repeat or a QI repeat on Dave, absolutely They'll fine. Catch it every now and then, yeah. Speaking of Dave, actually, um, in a previous life when Dave was the brilliantly titled UK TV G two. So snappy. Why did they change it? I just I don't know. I mean, I remember hating the fact that they called it Dave. I thought, what the fuck? Like you try hard. What the <laughs> yeah. hell is as soon as they thought, as soon as they had the plus one channel called Dave Javu, I was on board. Okay, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> that, that did just and also um, changing the dog um, during Back to Earth to Dave Lister. Yes, yes, um, was also good. But um, they put together an original trailer, um, yeah. which is um, somewhere of the rainbow. Um, oh, I was going to mention this: the Wizard of Oz, yeah. Wizard of Oz trailer. Yeah, beautifully done. It is fantastic. I was going to mention this one because is this technically a trailer? Or is this a promo? Because I think this is a promo, a promo for, for Red Dwarf. They were, and... they were doing a big repeat everything. This this was class. We, we we held this up as like along the same level as the big BBC repeat in the mid-90s. This was yeah. 
UK TV G2's uh, big <laughs> We're Repeating Everything run. Um, so they put a lot of weight behind it. Uh, I can't even remember when it was, like 2005, six. See, it's weird because like. when I thought about this, I was thinking of it as if like when the channel was called Dave and it was the day that that was the the rebranding thing but obviously it was, it was before so close. that even happened so yeah very close to that happening but i remember the mix between uh i think they, i can't remember what music the was it somewhere with the rainbow they mixed somewhere it with the red dwarf theme at the end they kind yeah. of do yeah. a blend between i thought that was just whoever someone had fun with that uh with that promo yeah. i think someone with a lot of talent and a lot of love for the show yeah just did a thing yeah um and it was beautiful yeah, and it was yeah definitely uh, definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. So I think we've got time for one more question as we've we've talked about trailers for quite a while now. Uh, let's go for Stillianides, St- Stillianides, St- Stay Stallionides. Stallionides. I like Stallionides. We'll go for Stallionides. I'll just change his name in the database so we're correct retrospectively. Let's call him Stan or something. Still eyeing uh, as much. How about whether the Red Dwarf movie script will ever see the light of day? Is Doug holding on to it in the hope that it will be used as part of a stage show? Or is he half thinking that in the future a movie could be made with a new cast if and when it becomes clear that the current cast have retired from Red Dwarf? I don't think it will ever be made no. in any sense uh, like visually as a production. However, I would love... The obvious thing to say, which I think we can all agree with, is we would love a coffee table book. Yes. We, uh, we would love about 50 different coffee table books of different yeah. things. <laughs> but th- this is top of the list. Yeah. But it because, must be like, so difficult for Doug to let go of this script, right? This I was thinking about this. This script, in its various forms, lived and was a potentially a movie for 10 years. Yeah. It was it was the main thing that Doug was working on. Yeah, like his main job for about seven or eight years at least was trying to get this fucking script made. Yeah, and it must have hurt to cannibalize it because we we know from well that's the thing the interviews yeah. that he's cannibalized bits of it. I think Hoagie, some fair Hoagie's bits of Hoagie, yeah. um, and it must have hurt to do that. But it it must hurt even more to think you know what I I am officially giving up on this dream and putting it in a book because at that moment you're closing the door, aren't you? Yeah, but I think Doug has said on the record that the movie script is is now like whatever version of the movie script because we assume like we always talk about the movie script, yeah. But it's it must have evolved so much over that time and different versions for different budgets and you know tweaking bits to like whichever investors or studios he was courting at the time would have had their input. Yeah. Uh, which you can see a fictionalised version of on the Series 7 DVD <laughs> if you want to watch a really badly made film done by twats in a kitchen. Uh, uh, yeah, there must be multiple versions of the script, but from what he said, there isn't any version that doesn't have big holes in it where he's had to steal bits of it for the beginning. I think Lemons as well, he, he said at yeah. one point, like certainly multiple bits of Series 10 are cannibalised from the movie script, and who knows... If he he might well have done the same for eleven, twelve, and the Promised Land, for yeah. all we know, yeah. um, so that's why I don't think it will ever be made in like as a as a proper thing. But yeah, a book where we have a version of the movie script with annotated notes by Doug, yeah. like a commentary as we go, 
and all the concept art and the storyboards that were made because you know this, there was a time when the storyboards were being released week by week on TOS. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a weekly that, feature that, that release a new the, section of storyboard. I feel like that's the version everyone's got in their heads. Is that that so that was two thousand two? I want to say two or three. Yeah, around that time. Um, and that was the big Winchester films. Yes, there was that. Um, there was that like uh, brochure like a book, that was yeah, handed yeah. out at, fe- yeah, yeah. at festivals that had like the plot. Which was um, was it agonoids or was that the version in backwards? Um, it was Homo sapienoids in the movie. Homo sapienoids. Agonoids yeah. is Rob Grant's version. Is Rob Grant's version in backwards? Yeah, uh, but yeah, which we assume is the Dominators from yeah. Um, fuck yeah from uh, the beginning. Now, in retrospect, is what they evolved into. But yeah, there's that version that's got the kind of concept art on the back of Red Dwarf splitting in two with a scary face in the background. That's a really so that, cool. That's thing. like, that's what we think of as the movie. So yeah, we'd love to see that in a book annotated with all the artwork, or as an audio thing, maybe because like just as a a hypothetical like this isn't canon, this isn't the Red Dwarf movie, but this is what the Red Dwarf movie would have been. I think that would work really well adapting it for audio. Um, but yeah, we would love to see it in some official proper form at some point because it's just it's a piece of Red Dwarf history that is yet to be uncovered. Like there's potentially a time when you know it could be out there in the world, um, but it would be. The, everything would have to have wrapped up, wouldn't it? Like yeah, it would have Red Dwarf would have to be dead and buried, and yeah. there'd be no chance whatsoever. And then maybe. It would come out because yeah. Because I can't uh, imagine yeah. Doug going down the new cast route at all. I don't think so. Like his his red dwarf is is tied to these the, the set cast. If he was gonna, he might have done it already. You know, yeah. with all the the hassle that especially I, I get the impression that eight was especially di- uh, sorry eight ten was especially difficult to get everyone together. Um, yeah. Well, Craig was still in Corey at the time. Yeah, Craig right? was still in Corey. It was the first time they'd really tried to do it for a full series and everything. And you, you would imagine if he was going to say, fuck it, I'm going to recast, he would have done it then. <laughs> um, bit of a reboot anyway. Yeah, it would need to be a complete yeah. reboot. Yeah. I think as I think we discussed this last week or the week before, that if, if any of the four weren't doing it anymore, then none of the four would. No, um, he like, they've, they've basically said as much in interviews for The Promised Land because obviously Robert was ill. They've, they've all kind of said that if it wasn't all four of them, then it would be none of them. Exactly, so that... that Again, this is why we think, you know, our, our overriding theory at the moment is Red Dwarf has ended. It has finished because <laughs> the, uh, the 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 chances that all it takes is for one cast member to not be well enough or yes. not be up to it for whatever reason, and then that's a house of cards tumbles yeah. down. Um, We'd I'd very much like to be wrong. I think if if, yeah. it, if it is all over now, then it would be a huge shame that they did, did the promised land presented this version of what red dwarf could look like now that was kind yeah. of like for my money possibly st- stronger than anything else in the dave era in terms of feeling new and fresh 100%. and different of like this is what red dwarf in the 21st century could be and if that's the last red dwarf ever then that's a real kick in the bollocks We've veered, but we will, we will, we will get a movie script in some form at some point. Yeah, if it hasn't I'm confident. Been put into the series we've already seen. 
yeah if it, that's the if thing you we might have already seen it, seen it. <laughs> um, i don't know how much of it is left that it hasn't already been adapted in some way <laughs> I mean, God. I mean, a lot of the cat stuff has a has a feeling of movie about it, but then it also has kind of a fresh coherence to it that maybe feels like, nah, Doug did this in, Doug did this all as one thing because he tends to he tends to pull stuff from the movie, and um, of the times that we've had it confirmed to us, he pulls things when his um his back's against the wall and he's desperate. Like he, yeah. d- he doesn't do it out of laziness. He does it out of desperation because presumably yeah. he, there was many different options he'd rather take than cannibalizing something that you know he spent ten years on. So yeah. um, I don't think we've seen it all, and if we and any bits we have seen, he would have told us about it maybe as a by way of a, an apology. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, even if even if the whole of the beginning is cannibalized from the script. That can't have been all that was in the script. No, no, because it's half an hour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think he'd have condensed an entire movie into half an hour. It must just be elements, you know, that have been rewritten, readapted. Like he's taken the plot, or you know, he's taken these characters, these Homo sapienoids, renamed them, and and told a new story with them. Yeah. But it's, it, we don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep a lookout for let's talk about the movie coffee book table book um, post <laughs> coffee table book post that's coming on GNT at some point in the future <laughs> coffee book coffee book table book <laughs> and uh, so yeah that was ah so you're a waffle, waffle man. man and prior to that was the penultimate commentary for the BBC episodes there's only one more to go uh, next week we're doing Marooned, and that'll be. It's taken us 14 years to get through the 52 episodes that existed when we started this. <laughs> so <laughs> we're almost there, guys. And all it took was for the entire country to be locked indoors for several months <laughs> for us to get our asses in gear to figure out a way to do it. Uh, so what do we do next after we've done the 52 episodes? What do we do now, Dad? <laughs> Firstly, uh start working our way through the Dave era. Yeah. Is a it's the logical thing to do. So we will do that. It, I think it's about time. Uh commentaries for series 11 and 12 are next in the pipeline. Uh we're going to go through them all in order. Um starting with Twentica. We're going to do those commentaries every other week. Uh and to mix things up, we're going to do an idea that we've wanted to do for so long uh, it's like it's been on the list we've thought oh, we'll do this after we've made our way through the commentaries mm. and so it's therefore it's been on our to-do list for about five or six years at this point we are going to be launching the Dwarfcast Book Club yes the Dwarfcast Book Club <laughs> uh, so every other week uh, starting soon we're going to be rereading and discussing the four Red Dwarf novels in depth and we're going to tackle one part of each novel uh, in a, in each podcast which will come out every two weeks and uh, we'd love for you guys to do the same and reread them along with us uh, send us your comments and your reviews whether you are familiar with the novels or in particular actually I'd be really interested if there's any of our listeners who haven't read the novels yet mm. uh, no judgement uh, though you really fucking should have done they're brilliant <laughs> uh, so if it's your if it's your first time uh, reading the novels then we'd love to get so, kind of get your instant reactions to them uh, or if like us you're familiar with them 
Um, it's going to be interesting because like I'm more familiar with the first two than I am with the second two. Yes, by yeah, far. Uh, just because because of unabridged talking books, basically, yeah, <laughs> and <yes>. being a kid <laughs> uh, and going through those. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, I think, to go through, and and it's going to be really nice to be able to give the novels the the level of discussion that they deserve because we never yeah. we never have we've 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 had features on the novels and we've talked about them but never in in any kind of depth so yeah first up we are going to be talking about infinity welcomes careful drivers part one your own death and how to cope with it it's about 100 pages that bit is like 95 pages or something which seems uh, like a decent amount of time a uh, decent amount of pages to get through uh, we're going to be recording it on or around the weekend of the 4th and 5th of July. Uh, so in between this uh, podcast coming out and then you've got about a week and a half uh, to read those 100 or so pages and get your comments in. Um, there will be a dedicated post on GNT, a quickie, which I'll do, uh, where you can leave your comments and reviews. Uh, and so, yeah, enjoy. Go and get your dust off yeah. your copies of uh, Infinity because dust off yeah. your copies or go to Kindle. And, oh no, hang on. No, you can't. <laughs> or listen to if you can get a hold of the unabridged audiobooks, which I think are on. Um, <laughs> they're all on YouTube. That's uh, true. Yeah, illegally. I was going to say order them, but you've just gone down the pirated route. <laughs> get the, get I don't. The I don't think the unabridged ones are on Audible. Just yeah. the uh, the radio show versions. But don't get comfy using audiobooks as your primary way of doing it, because when we get to um, last year. <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, it's the abridged version so we're going to have to be very clear about that at the time but yeah. um, there are plenty of ways in which you can consume the entirety of these books <laughs> and yeah, and do so because they're brilliant yes, if you haven't yes. already and if you have then it's a really nice idea to, to look back on them and remember how brilliant they are I've done lots of kind of re- like a re-reading of particular books in a certain fantasy series um <laughs> and lis- listening listening to podcasts along with it and it is an incredibly rewarding experience so i recommend um, everyone try and participate as much as possible. Nice. in the meantime um we'd also like your suggestions and questions for waffle men uh we're going to continue to do waffle men on the weeks where we're doing the commentaries uh, so it'll be uh, commentary and waffle men one week uh, book club the next week and so on uh, so do leave uh, your comments and suggestions uh, in the comments for this Dwarfcast over at www.ganymede.tv or on Twitter. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. You can also leave us a review on iTunes if you like. Uh, if, you, if Did anyone actually do that after last week? I don't know. I haven't checked. We've got one very, very nice review. It's very even. It, 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 there's, good, there's good and bad, but um, five stars from Slick Twenty Four Seven. Thanks. Who, who is presumably slick, literally all of the time. Like, there's no room for not being slick in his schedule. Um, uh, he wants so. to. He wants to clean up. He wants to mop the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, do that. Be like Slick Twenty Four Seven. You can be even more slick than Slick Twenty Four Seven if you leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, and uh, join us next week for the last ever Dwarfcast commentary. Yes, of of, of the BBC episode. Uh, so until then, uh, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and as always, Ed bye everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.